Hope is so important. It was Howard Hendricks that says hope or discouragement is the anesthetic that the devil uses right before he reaches in and carves out your heart. And man, discouragement comes in so many ways, in so many places. I had a meeting this last weekend on Zoom with some church leaders. And, you know, for as much as you can tell on Zoom, I just noticed a couple of the guys seemed down. As we got talking, it, it, the discouragement, I was talking to some that are up kind of in the, in the northwest. And of course, the government there is, is really... Uh, been difficult to try to get meeting again and it's like they they make some rules and all right we can do that and they get all prepared and then they change the rules and they just can't get back to meeting and I was talking to some of the guys over in California and so the cool thing is a couple weeks ago they got permission to at least meet outdoors right so they started meeting outdoors and it's great and they're just loving it and then the fire showed up and now they can't meet outdoors this weekend because the air quality is so bad and others, remember this heat wave that we've been going through like all summer? <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they've been dealing with it over there too. And so uh, their service is getting earlier and earlier in the day. It, and you could just kind of sense the sense of discouragement. And what I want to remind you is that hope is this conviction in our heart that something good is going to happen. And it doesn't come by us making ourselves believe it, you know, being a little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I'm going to have hope. No, hope is found best in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God's son, came and died for you. He loves you. He knows right where you are today. And when you come to believe in him as your savior, you invite him into your life, man, he's, first of all, he's with you. So you're never going to face this alone. He's working towards your good. That's his promise. All things work together. That even the difficult moments that God will cause in your life to help you grow more like him. And then we always with him have the promise of a better day. Because we know one day he's going to take us home to be with him. And so we've been talking about how do you build hope in your life. You come to know Jesus just like you got to continue to build faith and you got to continue to build love, you need to continue to build hope. Last week we talked about the importance of recharging your batteries. Whenever you get emotionally, physically, spiritually running on empty, that's a great time for discouragement to come and for you to lose hope. We also talked about from the book of Nehemiah how important it is to raise your expectations of what God can do. Sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the moment and the what is and discouragement sets in. And for Israel, it was having gone back and now living in the city of Jerusalem for over 90 years with broken down walls. It was never going to get fixed. It was never going to be right. But Nehemiah raised his expectations and said, God, what can you do? And in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. Today, I want to talk about the next two, dream. Dream. You've got to refocus on the future, especially when your dreams have been stomped and killed and it's not going to turn out the way you thought you got to dream again. And secondly, the idea of drive. You've you got to learn to lean into your strengths. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 45 here because I want to use the story of a Joseph. If there's anybody who ever had their dreams destroyed, stomped out, 
ruined, it, it, was, it was Joseph. Uh, if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons. He was the favorite of his father, which by the way is not healthy, don't have favorites, that doesn't play well. But Joseph was a dreamer. And he felt like God had given him a dream, in fact, a couple dreams, that, that God was going to exalt him so that his brothers and even his parents would bow down before him. And trust me, that did not play well. But that was the dream that he felt like God had put upon his heart. So his brothers decide, well, we'll kill that dream. And they kidnapped him, and they sold him into slavery. Talk about death of a dream. And uh, he goes down into Egypt. And there, though, he continues to be a person of integrity. He continues to believe that God can do great things. So in the house of Potiphar, God blessed all that he did. He came to, to be over it all, the whole house of Potiphar. And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He resisted. Again, integrity, right? And she makes up this story. He tried to rape her, so now he's thrown into prison. But again, he, he continues to believe that God can bring about the dreams, and so he still lives with integrity. And, and now again, God gives him favor, and he's over now the taking care of all the people in the prison, and the Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's cupbearer get thrown in there, and they have dreams, and he sees their countenances down. So he says, hey, maybe I could tell you the interpretation of your dreams. I'm into dreams, right? And, of course, for the baker, it's, you know, you're going to be killed. There's going to be the cupbearer. You're going to be restored. And, oh, by the way, when you get restored, make sure you remember me. Baker's not as important for you. You're dying. But for the cupbearer, you remember me. Sure enough, happens just like he said in three days. But then we read the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. And for two more years, he languishes in prison. Man, when, when your dreams get crushed... I can remember for me, and I've told this story many times, it was, well, first of all, you have to understand that when I came to Desert Springs, to be as candid with you as I can be, this, it was so far from what I had thought my first church was going to be like. I grew up in a home, my dad was a pastor, he pastored large churches, and I knew I couldn't start with a large church, I would start with a small church, because I, you know, you got to be humble about it, right? So I'm thinking, you know, church, you know, three, four, five hundred, in my mind that was small. How's that for humility? And then God called me to Desert Springs. And that first Sunday, there were 55 of us. But I just had this dream of what could be. And, and of course, you guys look around today and you go, well, man. And I just want you to know, we're not there yet. But I started out with all these dreams and, and it was great. We started seeing people get saved. But man, we started walking into some difficult times. And, and one of the biggest things for us was money was always a problem. Was always a problem. And the church is like, when we send out Salt Church, we're going to be supporting them financially till they're able to get up on their feet. And we'll be doing that for a couple years. But the time will come when we'll start backing that support away. They need to become independent. Well, the church that had sent us, uh, it was 1997. This was the second year of their support. They're going to start cutting it back. And man, we're having the worst year financially. And I've told you the story of all that happened to make it as long, as short as I can. End of the summer, man, we're just, 
we are behind. We're $15,000 in the red. They're going to cut us back. So a great part of our income is going to go away in January. And so I'm kicking over every rock I can kick. In fact, I've got a sore toe. I've been kicking so many rocks and nothing is happening. And by the time that November of that year came around, I got to be honest with you, I lost hope. All, all the dreams, it wasn't going to happen. We're going to have to close this thing down. I actually walked into a depression, lost hope. And processing through that with the Lord and with Tammy, begin to understand, you know, that even in the midst of those times, God is good. Maybe God was just using this to prepare us for something else. And even though maybe Desert Springs would have to close its doors, that the God had a future and, uh, for us and for, for everyone who was a part of it. And, of course, you're sitting here in Desert Springs. So if you haven't heard the story, like in the 11th hour to 59th minute, God showed up. We had enough money to close the year in the black. I mean, we walked into 1998 with a whole $34 in the bank. But we were in the black, Right? And so God did that, but, but it was in the midst of getting that dreaming anew that we got hope back. And, and that's, that's what we got to do. You got to learn to dream again, though, what can be. And what's really interesting is the story of Joseph. After his dreams have been killed and killed and killed, you get to chapter 45. So if you don't know the story of Joseph... Finally, Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can tell it. The, the, the cupbearer says, hey, I remember this guy in prison. So they went and got him, and he came out, and he interpreted their dream. There's going to be seven years of, of great feast, and, and everything's going to grow. Then there's going to be seven years of famine, and you better be preparing for it. So he puts Joseph in charge. He's number two in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> well, when the seven years of famine came, sure enough, here come Joseph's brothers and he meets with them and that's where we are Genesis 45 look at verse 5 he says do not be grieved or angry with yourselves as he talks to his brothers because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve your life for the famine has been in the land two years. There's still five years to go. Verse 7, God set me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house. You see, the dream wasn't anymore about, hey, you're going to bow down before me. That was inconsequential. The dream now had been refined, and the dream now was I get to take care of you as my family you you got to dream again because dreaming the vision brings hope and hope is that thing that floats our life it's what causes us to get up in the morning you see without a vision without a dream without a hope apathy sets in discouragement i see that a lot around right now don't you People are just kind of going through the motions. There's no, uh, there's no spring in their step. It's like Groundhog Day, right? Every day's the same. They've lost their vision of what can be. They need to dream again. Because here's the thing. A renewed vision, a sense of, okay, God, so these dreams have been crushed. What might you be doing or how might you be refining those things? 
it reminds us that God is the God of second chances. Have you ever thought through scripture how many of people who are great in the biblical sense needed a second chance? Joseph, uh, Moses, remember his first time to try to lead the children of Israel, killed an Egyptian and ended up running to the wilderness for 40 years, right? Jonah, he runs away from God. God was the God of second chances. Think of Thomas. <laughs> you know, the resur- Jesus is resurrected. He just missed seeing him. And, and so he decides to stick his foot in the ground. I'm not going to believe unless I can stick my finger in the hole in his hand and my hand in his side. And, and all of a sudden, a week later, he sees Jesus. Second chance. Hope now. He falls down and says, my Lord and my God. Think of Peter. Talk about needing a second chance. Folk, all of us at time need second chances. And that's what a renewed vision does. Have you ever noticed in your car that the windshield is like really big and the rear view mirror is really small? There's a reason for that. Because if you're spending all your time looking in the rear view mirror, you're going to run the thing in the ditch. You're going to crash. Now, is it important every once in a while maybe to kind of look back and just see where you've been? You know, learn, hey, I shouldn't cut that guy off that close again. Maybe, right? But you've got to give your time and your attention to what's ahead, looking toward the future. I think part of the problem that we get into as people and as churches, and I think even in our nation now, there's many who are kind of my generation who are looking in the rearview mirror of what America was like 30, 40 years ago when we grew up and the patriotism and all this and they just keep staring at that wishing that they could go back. Folk, we're not going back. It's it's not what it is today. But now you look at the, the front windshield and you go, but what maybe would God want to do today? You know, for many of us, we've been praying since back then that God would send a revival with maybe all of this happening now be the impetus. And so we begin to dream and pray that God will use this to answer the prayers of all of these years. I see it in churches all the time. Man, they're stuck in the rearview mirror of what the church used to be 30, 40 years ago. And people getting saved and the place full and everybody loving each other. And, and they just think if we could go back to that, we could go back to that. We just got that kind of a pastor here. And, and I try to tell them, you're never going back there. Because hey, it would never work today. What happened yesterday? But what about today? You guys are a handful of people. There's all kinds of people around you that need Jesus. What are we going to do to reach them? What's your vision as you look out? What would God want to birth? The reason the church was like that 40 years ago is God had birthed a vision in someone's heart and they decided to, to reach a world. That's why it was. So what about today? Looking ahead, renewed vision brings the second chances. And, it, and that's what propels you. You see, grace... Grace frees us from the past. It's Peter. Denied the Lord three times. He gets to affirm the Lord three times. That's what grace does, right? It frees us from the past, but it's vision. It's hope that propels you to the future of what God can do. And it's the progress of that that energizes. You know, we all need progress. I can remember a couple years ago, you remember it was about this time two years ago, I was going through that whole weight loss thing because I, I needed to lose that 
40 pounds. I can remember going through it. Man, on the days I get on the scale and I was down a pound or two pounds or half a pound, it was like, ah. But boy, the days you get on and, and it's flat or you've gone up a little bit and then you're going, oh man, I did everything good yesterday and all this and it's just going to get frustrating, right? It's when you see progress. Well, that's the thing that renewing your vision, dreaming again, because now you know where we want to go, what's the next step, and you can start making progress, and that will fuel your tank. Got to dream again. The second thing you got to do, you got to drive. You got to play to your strength. Let's talk about the story of David. If you got your Bibles, it's 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. You remember, David's just a teenager. He'd been taking care of the sheep, which, by the way, is... is, is it's the lowly job. It's, you know, it's not you're, you're really talented. You get to go take care of the sheep. It's you're the, the peon. Nobody wants to do. You go do that. That's the kind of job it is. He goes to see his brothers. And remember, he shows up, and there's this really big guy down in the valley, somebody from the Philistines called Goliath. He's nine foot six. He's huge. He's put out a challenge. Come and fight me. You kill me. We'll, uh, we'll uh, duke it out here, and whoever wins wins the battle will save all this bloodshed and nobody's taking him on. He's defying the armies of Israel. He's defying God. And David looks at him and says, God will take him down, right? I'll go. So they bring him before Saul the king and you know, Saul says, how do you think you're going to go? Hey man, I, I was watching the sheep and a bear came and a lion came and I, I man, I, I jumped on him. I got him. I killed him. God was with me. He's going to be with me in this. So notice here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38. So then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he not tested it. So David said to Saul, I can not go with these things. I mean, I can almost see David, this little skinny kid. You remember uh, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody in Israel? So he's got all this armor on. He was trying to walk like this, you know? It wasn't, that's not his strength. He's not a trained military guy. He's not a big guy. He's, he's not trained for that kind of war. You know what his strength was? He's a young guy. He's quick. He's fast. He's, uh, he's kind of sneaky. You know, the, the lion and the bear stopped because they didn't think he was coming after them. He was tenacious. Later on, we see that in the warfare when Saul is trying to, 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 to get him, I mean, again, he was sneaky. Saul could never find him. He, he was in the, you know, when he went into battle, he was fearless. That was his strength. And so I love the next verse, so verse 40, so he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones. He's going to figure it out on the fly. And he goes down there. That was his strength. In fact, look over verse 48. Then it happened when the Philistine rose. Okay, so he's sitting down. This big old guy probably takes him a few minutes to get up and came and drew near to David. That David ran quickly towards him. He's fast. Goliath doesn't know what's coming. And he takes that sling and puts the rock in and, and lets it go. Hits him right there, right? You remember what Goliath's famous last words were? That's never entered my mind before. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing. 
But, he, but the whole point was they were trying to get him to play to convention instead of play to strengths. So when I started uh, in ministry, learning leadership, one of the conventional points of wisdom, I can remember being taught this in different seminars and things, is, you know, you have to figure out what your weaknesses is and put a lot of focus, a lot of attention to, to try to improve your weaknesses so you'd be really well-rounded. That, that was the philosophy of leadership back then. The, the problem is, is that that failed miserably. Because what happens is you find that when you're weak in something, it maybe is just because you're not wired that way. So a lot, of, a lot of people got discouraged. A lot of people weren't very effective and they got fired. There was no joy in that. I would argue, and most people would argue today, that the way to lead is to lead to your strengths and you staff to your weaknesses. Find out what God has, has made you to do. What is it that he's put for, for David? It wasn't being a, a, a soldier like everybody thought, but it was to be quick on his feet, quick, can't think, and resourceful. That's how he won so many battles. That was his strength. By the way, I would argue with you that when David falls big with Bathsheba, it's because he's, he's trying to play the king instead of out being the warrior, which he was strengthened to do. That was in his wheelhouse. Have any of you heard of the leadership principle called the Pareto principle? It's the idea that 20% that you do, or 20% of your energy will actually give you 80% of your bang. It's this idea that you have a wheelhouse, you have a strength. And when you do that, the effect will be far greater than everything else. Now, you put that in the context of a Christian, right? So we realize that we were made uniquely, that God through the DNA of our forefathers has, has uniquely and specially strengthened us and, and given us certain strengths and wirings to do life. Then when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we got the Holy Spirit. And then we got a gift. And when we play to that gift, when we, when we lean into that gift, that's where our effectiveness comes. That's where the joy comes. That, in fact, there's, there's a couple things here. Let me not get ahead of myself. Play into your strength. Finding how God has gifted you. Leaning into those strengths is important. Now, before we go here, let me remind you that it doesn't mean when I say playing in your strengths, that you don't try to improve your weaknesses. Oh, I'm a type A personality, so I just run over people all the time. No, 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 that's not acceptable. You've got to learn to be a better people person. You've got to grow in that. You probably would be good to staff around you some really good people person so you can learn from them and they'll, they'll buffer you a little bit. But it's not just, well, that's not my strength. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. There's a holistic aspect to this. But when you lean towards your strength, there's a couple things that are going to happen. Number one, it will make you more effective. Why? Because it's what you're good at. So I grew up, many of you know, knew my dad. He was a great pastor. He was a great preacher. And as a preacher, he was an awesome storyteller. I mean, he just, uh, he, he could tell a story, captivate people. And then when you tied that with his experiences of traveling around the world, going behind the Iron Curtain, I mean, 
you know, he was really good and not saying he did this much, but the truth is, is he could stink it up for 20 minutes in the last 10 minutes of a sermon, tell a story. You'd walk out and say, that's the best sermon I ever heard because he was a storyteller. So as I begin preaching, I'm thinking I'm going to be a great storyteller, except I'm not. It's not my strength. It's not what I do. And what I begin to find out, and the poor people that were here at Desert Springs those first few years that were having to deal with this while I was figuring this out, what I do is I'm an expositor. That's what God has gifted me to do, is to take God's word. That's why I'm so excited about Philemon. You know, these series are okay. I don't mind doing them. But what I love is getting into a book, studying, seeing the consistency, and, and explaining how it causes us to live. That's my wheelhouse. And you say, well, that's not much of a wheelhouse. Well, it's the best I got, all right? But, but that's, where, that's where you see effectiveness, is when you find what it is that God has made me to do, wired me to do, gifted me to do, and you lean into those things. And the moment you start doing that, guess what happens? It begins to build confidence. Because you're not going in with, oh, I don't know, man, this is, I'm not really comfortable. No, you, you, you know. I mean, you ever think about Martha? Remember Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? What's the one thing we know about Martha? What was she gifted to do? What was her wheelhouse? To serve, right? In fact, so confident in that she could serve, that she could, you know, create hospitality for people, that she's even willing to go to Jesus and complain about her sister, right? I mean, that takes some chutzpah, right? there's confidence she knows what she's gifted to do so I don't know I, I'm guessing most dads are like this maybe it was just me but I can remember when I started having kids I mean I wanted to be a good dad I wanted to be a great dad I wanted I wanted to have a good relationship you know the biggest fear that you have as a father is that you screw up your kids right so, you, so you're trying to do that and so I would look at fathers and one, one of the things that was always there that I wanted to be was that father who just had that that radar that sense of what was going on with their kids so they walk in the room and they could just feel the vibe of emotionally what's happened with their kids and and, and so when something's out of kilter, you know, they, they just would know, slow down, let's stop, let's talk, let's say the right thing, right? Get that pearl of wisdom. And that's what I wanted to be. Except one of the things that I learned is that my little sensor is a hair doll. That's not my gifting. That's not where, that's not what I do well. In fact, the truth is, that's what Tammy does wrong. Remember when I say, play to your strength, staff to your weakness? That's what I did. Tammy's radar is really good. And what I've learned is to listen to her. When I come in and I'm just doing my own thing, she says, hey, you know, oh, okay, good, I, I'm on it. Right, tell me what I should say. All right, good, all right, I got it. We'll go, we'll give the wisdom, right? But that's not me. But I tell you what is me. I'm a planner, you know, I am kind of that type A personality. And uh, one of the things that I want my family to have is I want them to have fun together. 
And so to be able to start thinking about how do we have fun together and plan those times. And when the kids were small, it was, hey, this week, why on this night? Why don't we go out to the park and have a cookout? And, and how about this, this night? Let's go out for a bike ride afterwards and get all the bikes fixed up. And, and then we go for a bike ride together. Or let's go for a walk tonight. Or let's go, you know, do the, let's go polar bear into the swimming pool. You know, that's, that's what I'm good at. Let's plan a vacation. That's, that's what I bring to the table. That, that's where my strength is. And I think if you talk to my kids, they probably would think about those moments. Where, you know, because that's my strength. So what are your strengths? It'll make you more confident in what God has called you to do. Number three, it'll also fuel you because you're living now in alignment with who God made you to be. And lastly, it'll lower your stress. You know, when, when you're leaning into something and you know what God has given you to bring to the table and that you're able to do it, it lowers your stress, it increases your joy. There's just a happiness when you can bring something. I mean, many of you don't know this, but I like to cook. I don't cook a lot of different things, and I really would like to be humble, but for the sake of honesty, uh, what I do make, I'm pretty good. It's good. And for those of you that are cooks, and that's a giftedness, you'll understand this. And when you've prepared that special meal, when you've prepared that special gist that, that you do, and you see people sitting there and enjoying it, because food is important, right? We, we do everything around food. It brings joy to your heart, doesn't it? Because you're living in alignment with who God made you. And so, folk, when we think about hope, what you've got to understand is, is that there are times when our dreams get crushed and we've got to learn to dream anew, to refocus, to get our eyes off the rearview mirror, get it out the windshield. What does God want to do? How does he want to rebuild the dreams that have now been crushed and maybe now with a new motivation to take us toward? And then secondly, what is it that God has gifted me to do? And if you don't know what your strength is, I would encourage you to talk to people around you. They probably have seen it. Man, when you play in this sandbox, this is where you shine. So, okay, so now how do I bring that to the different relationships in my life? that I might bring what God has given me. And I just want to remind you one last time, because I can't say this enough. This is not a tagline, but the reality is, is that the hope that we're talking about is found in Jesus. You know, I'm not talking, when I talk about dream again and play, I'm not talking about picking yourself up by your bootstraps. What I'm talking about, when you come into relationship with Jesus, he gives you hope. And then you realize he did make you unique, that you were like a, a snowflake in the fact that you are different from anybody else. You have this, this incredible design that God has put in you. And he's given you strengths that nobody else has. And he wants you to lean into those with his power because that's where you're going to get the most bang as you change this life around you in a positive way for the kingdom of God.